Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. In every episode, you'll hear stories of our authors of color, how God led them to write their books, and the challenges they had to overcome along the way. Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Paloma Lee, and we are trying out a new format in three episodes. First, with IVP academic author Felicia Wu Song. Secondly, in this episode with IVP books author Dan Stringer. And lastly, with IVP publisher and president Taramie Eccles. If you're a regular listener or new to the show, either way, we hope you enjoy these three narratives. And please let us know what you think. Now, on to today's bonus episode. What types of images and memories does the word evangelicalism evoke in your mind? Maybe you're someone whose faith was transformed at a Billy Graham revival, or maybe a missionary's visit to your church forever gave you a heart for global missions. Maybe you recall a youth leader who instilled in you a passion for studying the Bible, or maybe your evangelical experience has been traumatic due to the horrors of abuse or to the injustices of racism. Perhaps you've experienced a mix of all these things, and your relationship with evangelicalism is complicated. When author Dan Stringer conceived of his book titled Struggling with Evangelicalism, Why I Want to Leave and What It Takes to Stay, he understood this complexity. He'd been a missionary kid living on multiple continents before the age of 18, and he had a unique window into evangelical spaces well beyond North America. And as someone of mixed ethnic heritage, he was able to notice things that others might miss. So before he penned a single word, Dan's story begins on an island that is more than just a vacation paradise. It's the place where what it means to be an American is uniquely shaped by history and demographics that make it one of the most diverse of all 50 states in the country. I am Chinese American on my mom's side. Her grandfather came to Hawaii from China in uh, the early 1900s, so she's third generation, I'm fourth generation. I found out later that on my mom's mom's side, I'm actually fifth generation, and I didn't realize that was a thing where you could be multiple generations of Asian American at the same time, but you can be. And then on, on my dad's side, I'm white American from Scottish and German roots, by way of the Bay Area. So my dad grew up in uh, the East Bay near Oakland, Berkeley area, and then met my mom here in Hawaii in the 70s, and they got married, which um, in my mom's Chinese family, it was really a new thing for anyone to marry a non-Chinese person. And my grandfather, Gung Gung, he had some issues with that. And because my mom was the youngest daughter and everyone else had kind of already followed the family script, she definitely had some had some pushback against choosing my dad and it wasn't until later that my grandfather kind of came around to be open to our multi-ethnic multi-racial family but I grew up being described as what we call in Hawaii as hapa hapa haole which just means half white half foreigner which is a really common ethnic mix here in the islands so in a certain sense it's not that uncommon and then in a certain sense 
you know, there are so many different ethnicities uh, within white America and then so many different ethnicities in Hawaii within Asian America. So you can have a variety of different combinations. But um, I do remember wanting to have a name that better reflected who I longed to be. And my ideal last name instead of Stringer was Lee. <laughs> You know, if you were a Lee, which some of my cousins have that last name, you could be Chinese or non-Chinese, you could be white or Asian, and it would be a legitimate last name that you could use in a variety of contexts. So I was always jealous of my cousins whose, whose last name is Lee. But I have a, a Chinese middle name, Wai Guang, which means guardian of light, and there's been different points in my life where I've been really thankful for my Chinese middle name, and then other times where I've kind of just in childhood, particularly when I was in a more white American space, you know, didn't really want to talk about my middle name because it made me different. But overall, it's really been a gift and um, it's a big part of who I am. And all of our kids have Chinese middle names and my sisters and all of us have been given that gift. So that's a little bit, a little taste of, of the complexity. As someone who also has a multi-ethnic identity, I really resonated with some of Dan's experiences. There's the delightful immersion into the blend of customs, attitudes, languages, and even food. And yet, there's a constant sense that you never fully fit in. Anywhere. I think of people in the media, like comedian Trevor Noah, who have done a really great job of creating more awareness around what it's like to grow up mixed. And so this, this world is awkward for me growing up because, uh, because I grew up in a mixed family. Uh, well, with me being the mixed one in the family, my, uh, my mother's a black woman. So in his own way, Dan had to work through his unique experiences and process his emotions surrounding his identity. For the part of my childhood that was in Hawaii, which was roughly half of my childhood, I remember feeling not Asian enough, not Chinese enough in different scenarios where people would ask about my ethnic heritage, which is a very common thing. We, we love to talk about that here in Hawaii, which, which overall is a good thing. But sometimes you tell them, oh yeah, I'm, I'm Chinese on my mom's side, so basically half. And they say, oh, half, really? Wow, I don't see it. Or something to the effect of, oh, I, I, I would have guessed a quarter, but okay, half. Mm. You know, so there's this feeling that, you know, if I really was half Chinese, I would look a certain way. And that's been something that I've experienced much more in Hawaii than the mainland. Whereas when we've lived uh, in the continental U.S., it's been kind of different. And, and one of the stories I love to tell is in sixth grade, halfway through the year, we moved from Hawaii to Louisville, Kentucky in the middle of winter. So there was this change in climate, change in culture, change in geography. And I remember trying to fit in with the kids there and talking with some white students and African-American students near my locker as I was getting adjusted in the first few weeks of that middle school in Kentucky. And someone comes up to our little cluster of students who are just kind of talking um, and says, oh, who's, who's the Chinese dude? And I look around to see who he might be talking about because I didn't see anybody Chinese. And then it dawned on me, oh, they're talking about me. I'm the Chinese dude. Okay, well, that's different than how I've been seen in Hawaii is more of a white person. But at the time, I remember feeling this, this whole wave of emotions, feeling different while also feeling validated and vindicated in another sense. Before Dan landed in Kentucky, he'd already spent three years living with his missionary family in Zaire. But his globetrotting days were far from over. 
His family lived in Nepal for a few years, then he finished his high school years in the Philippines where he met his future wife, Rebecca. They both ended up studying at Wheaton College where Dan began to find language to understand both his evangelical and his non-evangelical upbringing. And that journey would continue post-college, starting in an unlikely place, a radio station. I started a short period of time where I was an intern at WGN Radio in Chicago in their newsroom. And so over a period of several months, I learned a lot about the U.S. political system because this happened to be in 2004 during the presidential primary season. My role as an intern was to listen to the audio feeds and obtain enough sound bites so you could have a variety of clips that could be used by the reporting team when they would have a broadcast at the top of the hour or bottom of the hour. So I, I listened to a lot of campaign stump speeches from those candidates, but through that process, I started to ask all kinds of questions about how Christian language and Christian identity is used in political elections and describing our values and how, you know, multiple parties use scripture verses or references to the Christian faith when it comes to advocacy for certain policies. And so that was when I really started to grapple with, you know, where do I fit in this as well as where does evangelical Christianity fit into the American social political landscape when on one hand, there seems to be this clear support for the Republican Party in a lot of evangelical circles, and yet at the same time, there was no shortage of, at that time at least, spiritual language and Christian language being used by the Democratic Party, you know, when it came to issues of being against the war in Iraq or being supportive of caring for immigrants and that sort of thing. Dan started realizing that Christian evangelicalism didn't have to fit into a nice, neat, monolithic box as he began to learn from leaders like Sojourner's Magazine publisher Jim Wallace or authors and activists such as Tony Campolo, Brenda Salter McNeil, and Shane Claiborne. And that the ways he'd previously understood what it meant to be an evangelical from the media may not actually have been completely accurate after all. So many of them have a strong connection to an evangelical heritage, which is why they can write and speak in a way that speaks to our values of following Jesus as seriously as we can and taking scripture as seriously as we can and believing that God is alive and active in the world. And so once I started to see that even the critiques of sort of stereotypical evangelicalism or kind of right-wing evangelicalism, those critiques were often coming from evangelical voices and folks who shared something about my upbringing and background growing up in evangelical churches. And so once I started to see that um, the the voices I was listening to and, and the folks who were inspiring me to broaden my horizons, once I saw that they were evangelicals too, that gave me a lot of hope and made me see that, wow, we're really describing something that is not as narrow and monolithic as it might be described in election year reporting news coverage. So I think I would say that, you know, the more I searched, the more I found really positive and inspiring evangelical voices, including evangelicals who encourage me to look outside of evangelicalism for wisdom. You know, the idea that we can we can learn from our siblings in the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, uh, mainline Protestantism, 
often it was not evangelicals telling me not to do that. It was evangelicals telling me, yes, you know, we can search the world for whatever will help us grow in, in our faith and become more of who God wants us to be. And if, if that comes from a Christian outside of our tradition, then so be it. Our, our tradition is only so old, and we have so much to, to draw from when you look at the body of Christ globally, historically, over thousands of years. Dan began a master's degree in social work at the University of Hawaii, but he eventually missed ministry and working in pastoral care. So he enrolled in a Master of Divinity program at Fuller Seminary Online while continuing full-time in social work. What happens when you bring a multi-ethnic, missional, social worker's heart and perspective to evangelical ministry work? A lot more hopefulness than what you often see in the media about evangelicalism. One of the gifts from that social work training is this idea that I mention in the book called the strengths perspective and how when you're working with a client most of the time they're coming to you because they have a quote-unquote problem that makes them eligible for the services you're providing whether that's a severe mental illness diagnosis or whether that's having an income level that's below a certain threshold or maybe they've been without housing for a certain period of time so they qualify for certain housing resources and what we were encouraged to do in school was to try to look at each person from a strengths perspective whenever we could, which is not just where are they deficient, but what real gifts do they bring and resources and strengths do they bring. So maybe this person is homeless and doesn't have an income, but they're incredibly quick at learning new skills and they've done a lot of different types of work so they can they can be trained to do new kinds of work. So I, I apply that to evangelical Christianity, when it's so easy to focus exclusively on our deficiencies, problems, what's gone wrong, I try to look for where the strengths are as well, because often it's in those resources that we can be best equipped to address what's gone wrong, and not just, you know, focus so much on what's missing, but look at what's also still there. Before we continue Dan's story, I wanted to let you know about a new book from IVP entitled Learning Our Names, Asian American Christians on Identity, Relationships, and Vocation. This book is written by a team of four Asian American InterVarsity staff workers who are East Asian, Southeast Asian, and South Asian, and who share how God uses their unique ethnic identities and experiences for His divine purposes. It's even endorsed by basketball star Jeremy Lin, who says that the book was so encouraging to him in exploring how his identity shapes his faith. And later on in the show, I'll share how you can get a special discount on this book from ivypress.com. But now, back to Dan's story. Dan Stringer's life to this point was not the standard background of an evangelical thought leader who would bring clear commentary on the state of the movement. He was a mixed ethnicity kid who was born in Hawaii and had lived in various places around the world, but who ended up studying at evangelical institutions like Wheaton College and Fuller Seminary. And this unique blend of background and training gave him the eyes to see trends no one else probably could have detected. Dan began blogging, and he started to notice a trend in his own writing. I'm noticing this this pattern that evangelical Christianity is a thread that keeps on coming up. And whenever I'm asking questions about a particular topic or Bible verse 
or current event, what I really care about that came through in those blog posts was the evangelical church and what we are either complicit in or what our response is or how do we move forward. So it was always tied to some sort of aspect of evangelicalism. And so that's kind of when I started to realize, hmm, maybe I should start writing more about that. All of Dan's musings on the topic of evangelicalism began to coalesce into what became his book, Struggling with Evangelicalism. It became even more of a reality in 2016 when Dan attended an Asian American staff conference for InterVarsity and found himself at a meetup for staff interested in writing for IVP, led by IVP senior editor Al Shi. Over the next couple years, I would say, maybe even longer, started to develop what would eventually become a book proposal. But initially, it started off as shorter, shorter pieces because I really didn't want to actually have to write the book if I could help it. <laughs> I was trying to get out of it because uh, I knew how taxing it would be and how, you know, as much as writing is life-giving, it's also life-draining for me too. So once I realized that this was something that was part of God's call for me and it wasn't just my own ego looking for attention because I was trying to see if I could just, you know, write something shorter and be done with it and not have to go through this proposal process and all this all the scrutiny and just the length that you have to come up with for a book. Al Shi did eventually become Dan's editor, and he shares what stood out to him about Dan's manuscript now. I acquired Dan's book because his struggle is my struggle. Many of us who are people of color in Christian spaces find ourselves in predominantly white evangelical places and shaped by white evangelical institutions and organizations, and we don't feel entirely at home here. We may share the same evangelical commitments to Jesus and scripture and engaging culture with the good news of the gospel, but there's a lot about evangelicalism that makes us uneasy, and we may be marginalized, isolated, and feel alone in evangelical spaces. We might be the only one in the room, or in the church, or in the organization. And it's not as easy as just leaving for other communities. Many white ex-evangelicals feel the freedom to leave, but as Sung Chan Ra has pointed out, leaving is a form of privilege. Evangelicals of color had to prove ourselves by going to white evangelical schools and jumped through evangelical hoops to get evangelical degrees and credentials. So here we are, ambivalent about evangelicalism, not sure if we can stay, but not sure we can leave either. So I'm grateful for Dan Stringer's book and his journey through evangelical spaces. Wheaton College, Fuller Seminary, he's ordained at the Covenant Church on staff with InterVarsity, and how he navigates this world with these postures of awareness and appreciation for the good parts, but also lament for its wrongs and complicity with injustice. Dan helps us discern how best to inhabit evangelical spaces with hope for renewal, to dwell here constructively, to try to make it a better place for others. As daunting as that might be, it's encouraging to know that we are not alone on this journey. That grounded and clear-eyed perspective that both appreciated and lamented the effects of evangelicalism has resonated with many readers. Upon reading the book, UCLA professor Robert Chowermero commented, quote, Stringer disentangles evangelicalism's current politically tainted brand in the United States from its historical roots and diverse global embodiment. His nuanced discussion offers something to think about for those on both sides of the debate. End quote. And many other readers have found relief as they've processed their own experiences in the evangelical space. 
One of the patterns and themes that I've seen in the feedback is just people saying, thank you for putting into words what I've been feeling for a really long time and helping me sort through what to do with the good, the bad, the ugly of evangelicalism and not having to minimize any of those things, but take all of them seriously because they're all they're all real and true and part of what makes it complex. And so it, it really is rewarding for me to hear stories of folks who just gain some discernment and clarity in their process of figuring out what to do next. Do I stay? Do I leave? Regardless of what they decide, what I love is when someone just has a better sense and an informed capacity to make to make that decision. And so my goal in writing wasn't to get everyone to land in the same place as far as what to do or whether to stay or go and, and that kind of thing. Plus, people might change their minds too, and I might change my mind. This is just where I'm at right now. But my goal was more to help people to just have the pieces they need to discern things in a realistic and redemptive way for them to to move forward. And I give examples in the book of folks who did not stay with evangelicalism and and their faith is in a better place because of it. For those who do desire to be a part of the renewal process, Dan writes about a temptation that often accompanies progress, and that is to pat ourselves on the back, to try to prove that we're better than the old evangelicalism, all the while remaining blind to our own present shortcomings. It's a tendency that we need to be aware of because part of having evangelical DNA in your blood and in your bones is wanting some sort of victory. And it's it's something that I, I laugh about often when I see, you know, certain kinds of evangelicals saying, no, don't go for that kind of victory, go for this kind of victory. But both perspectives are trying to like have a triumphant take on ending things on a good note or putting a positive spin on things. And it's really easy to do that because we're, we're the ones that came up with the decision for Christ and these climactic moments that change eternity. So of course we want to come to like some sense of getting things right and finding some peace in that. So it's really hard to, to resist that sometimes, but if we can have a healthy awareness that a lot of these issues have been going on for a long time, and so to use the environment metaphor, if a tanker spills oil in the ocean, you can't just clean things up to be in such a state that the ocean was before and make it as if the spill can, as if the spill had never happened because that just that would take thousands of years but you can prevent future spills and you can clean things up in a way that is hopefully leaving it better than when the spill first happened so there's kind of a approach that tries to look at things well not perfect not ideal still messy but better than we found it. It's hard though because there's a lot of mileage that we get out of criticizing the evangelicals we don't like and so it's really tempting to be like we're not going to be like them we're going to be better and hopefully we will be at the same time recognizing that in the bigger picture there'll be others who, who say that about us and um, someday we'll become the the old generation that the younger folks are saying we need to do it better than they did. <laughs> and they'll be right. Sometimes there's a moment of beauty in the midst of what feels like a messy oil spill. I asked Dan to share about a memory he describes in the book, 
While Dan was attending high school in the Philippines, a Christian musician visited the school and performed a concert for the community where parents and families attended. In between a couple of the songs, he was talking about biblical metaphors in which God is depicted as a mother, such as when God, you know, gathers her chicks or, you know, gives birth or whatever the metaphor might be. And one of the parents in the audience yelled out, but God is our father, like in a really angry tone. And everyone was just kind of like listening for that pin to drop because it was a it was a stark moment of what would happen next and would the singer get into an argument with this person and would this person walk out, what was going to happen. But the singer guy, he just kind of took it in stride and kind of stood his ground, but in a respectful way that continued to try to move us forward in a way that harmonizes our view of God as a father, recognizing that God does not have a gender the way that human beings have a gender, and that even the, the idea of a, a father God has a metaphorical dimension to it. So that was a teachable moment for everyone in the audience that day, where maybe some people had a similar feeling to what that person was objecting about. And so that was an example where I think in that moment, as a room, people in that room were left better than than we began because it was handled in a way that was biblical, respectful, and moved us forward towards a more full and deep understanding of who God is. As much as those moments can give us hope, there are still those of us who are more hesitant about re-engaging with evangelicalism, even in the form of renewal. For anyone who is on the fence, Dan has three words for you. You have options. You have options. Sometimes, depending on our experience in the evangelical church, we're taught that we don't have that many options, and if you don't like this church or this you know, approach, then you must not like the Bible. You must not like God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit or something uh, is the implication. And I want to say that actually, if where you're at is not a good fit, you have options. If you are struggling with the way that your tradition is handling things, or you're just not sure if you belong there, or if you need a change of scenery, or maybe you're maybe you're wanting to stay but aren't sure if you have the resources to do that, you know, there are options for staying. There are options for how to continue in your tradition if that's what you want to do. There can be hope and it really just starts with recognizing that, that those options are there and you can you can choose. If you're listening to this and thinking that you have so much you might want to say to the church, but you could never imagine writing a book like Dan did, you might take comfort in what he says to aspiring authors and writers. Well, I certainly don't see myself as an example for others to follow, partly because it was such a challenge for me to put this book together. At the same time, I recognize that it's a painful process for a lot of people and I'm not alone in that experience. And so one thing I learned that I would pass on is just to be kind to yourself or be kinder (laughs) than you were yesterday (laughs) to yourself. I think as writers, we have a tendency to be super hard on ourselves and beat ourselves up in a way that if we did it to someone else, we would recognize it as too much and just over the line of disrespect. And so if there's something we're saying to ourselves or about our writing that 
crosses the line of you know something we would not say to a loved one about their writing or someone else who we were trying to encourage and refine and, and bring the most out of, then it's probably not worth saying it to ourselves either because we are also human beings in God's image who are deserving of respect and kindness. Most of us, I think, we are aware that we're not the, the epitome of talent and consistency and follow through and we need we need encouragement and, and help and, and community to make these things happen so find your people encourage each other find those folks you can write with and if you know it doesn't end up being the amount of words or the amount of time that you hoped it's okay just try again tomorrow you'll get there word by word you can get your own copies of both struggling with evangelicalism and learning our names at ivypress.com and use the code EVN40 to get 40% off these books. That's code EVN40 at ivypress.com. And if you'd like to find out more about Dan, you can find him at danstringer.net. Thanks everyone for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast brought to you by IVP. Our producers and hosts are Paloma Lee and Helen Lee. If you're enjoying our show, we would welcome your reviews and recommendations. You can also support our efforts financially at everyvoicenow.com. And we'd love to hear from you directly anytime. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at everyvoicenow. Or visit the site for show notes, transcripts, and more. And join us next time for another inspiring episode.